Welcome to episode 28 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Kim Lane. And we're uh, in Hermosa Beach this week. Yeah, it's uh, been a nice week here. I traveled briefly up to Monterey on Thursday, came back on Friday. Um, but Friday was an interesting day for the internet. Yeah, it was a, it was a four-day work week from, from what I can, can account. I took Friday off. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because uh, why, Kim? Because nothing w- was working. Uh, I would say the first thing that I went to do was um, check on my schedule for the day of stories going out, and notice that things weren't posting to Twitter, and um, and then things weren't posting to GitHub, and so I looked into it a little bit and saw there was a massive denial of service attack upstream from some of the providers I depend on the most. And specifically, this denial of service attack w- was targeted at Dyne, which is a DNS company. Yes, they do a wide range of services, but yeah, DNS and, and addressing for the internet is one of the things they they seem to specialize in. So perhaps um, explain what DNS is and how it functions and why it made the internet break. Well, basically, one of you know how the internet works is uh, you know well sorry is is Dine Dine does deals in addressing on the internet, which is domain name systems, and basically is is when you type in Google.com or Facebook.com, that is DNS, and when you type it in, you expect it to go to a certain place, and those certain places are. Uh, usually IP addresses or internet uh, protocol addresses and uh, an address or .com or any of the new domains gets routed and Dyn is one of those providers that, that uh, deals and handles that routing that, that goes on and making sure you get where you're supposed to go uh, when you ask for things on the internet. Yeah, the so the an IP address you could think of as sort of the the to use a different metaphor, sort of like the mailing address for uh, for a particular server, right? But but it's it's not human readable. It's a string of numbers that would be impossible to remember. Like it would be it would be it wouldn't be incredibly useful for me to go around telling people to read my work on one two. Five point seven two point four three point you know one two seven like that's not a memorable thing. So I say I bought the domain Hack Education that maps to that I well not that IP address I totally made that up but it maps <laughs> it maps to an IP address through the sort of th- through the domain name system, and so when the domain name system is inoperable as it was for those who used uh, who used dine um you couldn't type you couldn't type the human readable name into your browser um to get there nor could you use many apps which is interesting thinking about you know even the apps that we've built um tend to use the human readable rather than the machine readable version of the addresses well and and you know every everything on the internet has an ip address whether it's a permanent one or whether it's dynamic and, and temporary. And so, I mean, that's basically all a website is, is a, a machine, a computer connected to the Internet that usually has a permanent IP address so that that address can point to that IP and, and you can find it 24-7, you know. And then humans uh, connect 
we connect our laptops to uh, the internet and we're also given an IP address, usually a temporary one because it we're just um, we're connecting as as part of like our Comcast or our dial up back in the day and it gives us a temporary IP address and it goes back into the pool when we're not connected. And um and so our mobile phones kind of have emerged and those all um, are on a mobile network, a cellular network, and they're issued an IP address so that, they, you know, uh, they can be found and you can communicate back and forth on the Internet. Now, what's happening as part of uh, uh, the, the whole dying in the Internet, you know, these outages or cybersecurity attacks or threats that we're seeing is people are... Um, taking advantage of the next wave of devices being connected to the internet, and they are um, security camera systems, other routers, other network wireless network devices, um, uh, printers, whole wide range of think of anything right now being connected to the internet. And what these devices do is they even though they're connecting to your local network, which is your home or your small business, they tend to do what's um, they tend to poke a hole in your firewall and say, hey, I'm here, and call home. And what's happening is a lot of these devices are being exploited uh, through a couple different ways, uh, poor passwords or a backdoor um, via what's called SSH. And and they're becoming these big botnets. Basically, these devices are getting bought. They have default passwords. They're getting plugged into the network. They're poking a hole, and these um bad characters on the internet, these hackers are finding them because they kind of go, hey, I'm here. And then they ask, they get into them through their uh, default password. And then they put them all on a list and or connect them together. And they all await instructions. And what happened is they unleashed that on Dyn, one of the DNS providers, to kind of shut them down because what that does is it shuts down all of Dyn's customers, which happen to be GitHub and Twitter and Flickr and Reddit and all of these things. Yeah, Netflix. I mean, it was it was a massive outage. Yeah, and this is just a big portion of this botnet that attacked or took out you know large swaths of the internet on Friday. We're the same that were a couple of weeks ago were being unleashed on Krebs on security, which is he's one of the the outspoken folks in the infosec cybersecurity security whatever you call it space. And basically, this 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 new um, collective of of devices was un- unleashed on him um, in an unprecedented way, and it kind of feels like pe- they're just kind of testing out on the wider internet now because no one claimed responsibility for it. No one's like, "Hey, we did it." It wasn't like Russia or China or or the U.S. or some other. Um, it's kind of up in the air who was doing it and and why. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about the these issues around the security and um, the Internet of Things. But I just want to underscore what you've explained is um, a DDoS, a distributed denial of service attack, right? So, and I think that the distributed piece is really important. This isn't just sort of one malicious person using their computer to do to do a, a malicious act, that this is distributed. It's, um, it's many, many devices that have been commandeered, um, comm- I mean, I think commandeered through, through malware um, to do so, um, that they are infected by um, a botnet. Um, and so out of, their, out of their users, out of their owner's um, control, these machines are acting out of their owner's control. But it's a distributed denial of service attack. And so when you hear DDoS, um, that's, that's what that 
means. It's 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 not just a denial of it's not like a denial of service by someone, um, one person doing a malicious act. This is distributed, and that I think makes it challenging to identify who the culprit is, let alone the culprit devices. Yeah, I mean, it, it's there's there's so many things that are. I don't know, capitalism and, and just the politics of all of this at play, whether it's, you know, um, whether it's state actors doing this or whatnot, but it's, it's you know, think of thousands of security cameras and, th- and think of the, just a little bubbles, the little things you see in the corner of your, your local Starbucks or coffee shop or, you know, those being plugged in and basically the people who are plugging those things in around the world. We're not just talking about it in the U.S. We're talking about in Singapore. We're talking about in various countries um, that have you know a lot of internet and people are just plugging these these devices in and the devices are going hey hello i'm here and they have a default password so that happening thousands and thousands of times over and over and over and then what these bad actors are doing are basically just discovering these and so i mean there's a lot of discussion around whether you know what are these uh these device owners responsibility in all this what are you know the network operators um who that these things are are, are happening um on the and but it's it's really I think it's interesting that one it's it's surveillance cameras so this this one layer of fear of of your physical space that you go plug in a camera and you plug it in and without any wider awareness that you're connecting this to the internet and making it available and so there's that one layer of fear and then these bad actors are harvesting these and finding these and selling these to even even worse actors um, when it comes to cybersecurity and then this being used to shut down um, people who are speaking out like uh, Krebs on security and other people and then taking out huge uh, kind of cornerstones of the internet. I mean, there's just many layers of, of interesting and very scary shit going on there. Yeah. I mean, and we talked about this, I think uh, a month or last month um, when Bruce Schneier said that, you know, that we referenced this, that someone was sort of probing and trying to take down the internet. So in some ways he sort of forecasts this, but he has a post Again, from I think from last month that I'll put in the show notes, but or I guess it's from earlier this month. But he he, um, he makes a really I think interesting observation here, and he says the market can't fix this because neither the buyer nor seller cares, right? And what that means is that this requires government intervention, right? When the when when the market isn't going to step in and adjust things, but we know that things, something has to change because the stability of the internet is it is in jeopardy, right? If this does require government intervention, but as you noted, what do, what <laughs> what does that look like? Because we can fix quote fix this through regulatory means in the U.S., but that doesn't fix it in China. That doesn't fix it in France. That doesn't fix it in Colombia. Right. That doesn't fix it in Kenya. Um, and so, um, I think we're really facing. Uh, it's. I think there are. I think this is something to to be. Um, you, you said something about fear, but I think that this is something to be really concerned about because we, um, this thing that we've taken for granted and that we have um, intertwined with sort of some of the most important things of, of functioning in our society, the so economic systems, transportation systems, right, education systems, banking systems um, are, are 
reliant on the internet and it is looks to be just sort of grossly vulnerable. Well, I mean, I think it's 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 what you and I rail on constantly, but it's 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 this whole blind massive rush of technology moving forward so blindly forward fueled by just all the worst parts of of capitalism and that you know it's like all these companies just racing you know the internet of things is like the next the next gold rush that everyone everyone is going to after mobile phones it's not just a mobile phone in everyone's pocket it's it's 15 20 devices in everyone's home in our cars on signs in retail stores and and you know these are these are printers these are scanners these are cameras these are sensors but but that layer these are toasters these are toothbrushes these are ev- well, I was telling you earlier about a uh, internet connected crock pot yeah yeah i mean it's it's endless all all for this this first rush and wave of of you know uh, getting customers and then people are totally unaware that that that's all in the service of surveillance and getting data but this greed and this blindness that goes with this creates this whole other opportunity for this next level up of of really bad actors I mean that first level are just they're just greedy and kind of ignorant and dumb and looking to do you know make a profit but this next layer isn't always that sophisticated as we've seen by this attack but potentially so is when you have all of these devices on the network um on the on the world global internet and you know how you control thousands of devices is they're using these command and control systems and this is where it comes in for APIs for me is is Twitter and Instagram and Facebook are all potentially command and control systems so you can teach these devices the exploit that lives in them to look for certain messages on Twitter look for certain hashtags look for certain images i was breaking down a a, a research study on how Instagram images are being used with like you know, for lack of a better word, watermarks in them so that it'll tell uh, 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 thousands of security cameras where to go and what to do embedded in that QR code or watermark or instructions on what it should be doing. And so there's just like so many layers of, you know, I put on my just sci-fi alt writer hat. I'm like fascinated. This is Ooh, alt, alt writer, like alt author, not Right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Her. Thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Alt author, like alternative science fiction writer, um, and it's fascinating. But then I start thinking about like where you are just coming from, and and I'm it scares the fuck out of me because it's it's like Bruce Schneier was saying is like these the people plugging in these devices, making these devices, selling them, and plugging them in. None of those people give a shit. And like you said, in certain jurisdictions, there's no way to make them give a shit. Well, I mean, and let's be honest, even before we talk, you know, even before we'd want to sort of point and shake the finger at new devices coming out that are not, that are unsecure, I mean, printers, printers, which have been, you know, internet connected printers are woefully unsecure. And this is not new technology. This is old technology. I mean, how many times do you and I go to a a hotel or where were we the other day? The bank? Yeah, Chase Bank. yeah, and we saw that the that the printer was unsecure, and so, you know, I mean, I think that we have we have these vulnerabilities in our existing infrastructure or our our existing sort of technical infrastructure in these places already. Whether or not Chase Bank, you know, gets a Wi-Fi connected fridge in the break room, they already have a wi- an internet connected device that is exposed. 
right? And so, and those, and it's been exposed for, I mean, how long have, I don't know how long the internet connected printers have been around, but a while, right? So we've been sitting with this vulnerability for a long time and we haven't done anything and print, about it. And printers, I think, are a great model to explore because when you think about a printer, it's like the desire for access and convenience and, and of use has, has always top of mind. I want to be able to print on that, that printer over there. I don't know how many times when I go places to family members, to businesses, they're like, we can't get to that printer. Can you help us? Cause you know, tech, you know, that's the classic question people get, but like that convenience factor is why they are the most vulnerable thing plugged into our network. And when you use that as a model that it's like that accessibility to the people on that network um, has relaxed all the security and, 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 and opened up these vulnerabilities that manufacturers have a proven track record. I mean, HP just got in trouble for it turning on a kill switch that basically told all the printers to um, stop printing with third-party ink and basically killed this whole underground, not underground, but third-party market for, for ink. And so so getting their, you know, they want control of their devices. So they're they're increasingly making them smarter, more connected, so that they can run software and, and execute things, um, command and control systems. So when you when you have things like that in place, those command and control systems are easily exploited and, and used for other purposes. Yeah, I mean, and to come back, you know, if, if I was to sort of give advice um, to people, um, is that when you have any device and you plug it in as a you know, as creating a network in your home, including the router, right, especially the router, to rename it and to add a password. Don't, do not, do not use the default device. I mean, actually, my first bit of advice is don't buy bullshit um, household objects um, that are really just designed to surveil you, um, that's probably the first advice. But to make sure that you're actually, you yourself are being responsible for the technologies that you're plugging into the internet, right? Because the infrastructure really is, um, relies on us being, acting in good faith, letting data move from site to site to site, um, relying on these systems that I think that people, that people um, have certainly decided now that the future of, warfare is going to be played out um, online. And you're absolutely responsible for the right? The soldiers in your house. Yeah. I mean, it's, we have to be thoughtful in, in our acquisition of technology, where, where we apply it, which brands, which manufacturers we buy from, how we install it. We got to be thoughtful in that. And then it's operation. Like if you know, one, don't buy it if it's not necessary. Two, don't connect it to your network if it's not actually necessary and 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 provide some purpose. But then the flip side of that also is is like, how do you how do you can you you know should we be outsourcing security and upward of of upgrades of firmware and and these devices if we are going to have them on the network should we be making them accessible so that they can be updated or are we going to take responsibility of, of that ourselves and and do that in a responsible way it seems like there should be some accountability at some level that if if you have an inter if you have an internet connection as a as an individual or business that there's some some responsibility that comes with that that compute capacity i guess 
And that's, you know, I mean, and I think that that's, um, that's asking a lot because of the level of illiteracy that we're sort of keeping folks at. I mean, how many folks actually before Friday knew, had ever heard or even heard of DNS? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, digital literacy I mean, is something you and I rail on and, and awareness of, of your digital footprint. Um, it, we're so woefully behind in, in any sort of awareness of what the web is and what we're doing on it each day um, that, I mean, we have to keep trying, but, you know, we have to figure out a way to get people up to speed because the manufacturers, the software developers, all these, they, they, they're super happy to have illiterate masses, unaware masses plugging in their devices on their network. But we can't have that because we're not going to have an internet. We can't have any nice things with the, with that kind of behavior happening. So how do we build an incentive framework in there for, for everyone to get more literate? So you know who else lost his internet access this week? Yeah, your buddy. <laughs> My buddy. God, no. Um, uh, yeah, Julian Assange, the Ecuadorian embassy, um, cut off his access to the internet this week um, in a response to what they say is our, our WikiLeaks interference in the U.S. elections. I don't remember. Have we talked about, we've talked a little bit about these hacked, the hacked information that WikiLeaks now shares, right? Yeah, I think two to three weeks ago we talked a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, the, you know, I think in the, um, in the hopes of, and the hopes of stirring up some sort of, um, or actually, I mean, in the hopes of, 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 of turning public sentiment further against Hillary Clinton, um, WikiLeaks continues to release um, stolen, um, stolen emails from her campaign, from the DNC, from political operatives close to her. And I, I should say that one of the ways in which this happens is through phishing, Right. So again, the digital literacy to help people become more aware of phishing. You shared a, a, a story with me this week that um, that millennials are actually fall for these tar- these scams more often than do the elderly, which I thought was interesting. But that John Podesta and his emails have been um, leaked quite a bit in the last week or so. You know, John Podesta used the same password across all of his accounts. Again a no-no, right? Yeah, I mean, just a severe lack of... We've heard this story over and over play out of of directors of agencies um, using email with passwords like this. I mean, it, this you just can't be... You can't operate like this in an online environment with any level of responsibility in 2016. You have to have a, a, a little bit more awareness than that. But I just want to call attention to... One of the emails that was um, released by WikiLeaks and their response to it, and that was the release of an email exchange um, to John Podesta um, from, now I can't remember her name, oh, Nira Tandon, who is a close political operative um, of the Clinton campaign. And in it, she says about um, Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Lessig, um, co-founder of Creative Commons, um, I, I fucking hate that guy. Like, I'd like to kick the shit out of him on Twitter, but I know that is dumb. And this was sort of, I guess, released as some sort of sort of scandalous thing. And um, Larry Lessig responded. Um, this is, I'm going to read what, what he said. Um, here's, he said, here's a single and my only response. I'm a big believer in leaks for the public interest. 
That is why I support Snowden and why I believe the president should pardon him. But I can't for the life of me see the public good in a leak like this, at least one that reveals no crime or violation of any important public policy. We all deserve privacy. The burdens of public service are insane enough without the perpetual threat that every thought shared with a friend becomes Twitter fodder. Nira has only ever served in the public and public interest sector. Her work has always and only been devoted to advancing her vision of the public good. It is not right that she should bear the burden of this sort of breach, which I thought was very um, commendable statement by Lessig. But I also think underscores why what WikiLeaks is doing right now is so damaging. I feel like this is like pro level type disruption of, you know, potentially, you know, things like open and transparency and whistleblowing being having a, a being for a positive force by by either organizers or individual actors that this kind of bad behavior and radical validation for radical things is a way of disrupting and dismantling and and breaking that down and, and watering it down so it doesn't have any effect in a kind of post-Snowden era or something. You know, I've seen a lot of folks, um, particularly those on the left, um, who uh, who are... Um, who do not support Hillary Clinton, really cheering this WikiLeaks, the, the, the stuff that WikiLeaks is, is um, uh, releasing right now. And I would just caution, <laughs> I would just definitely caution against folks on the left doing so. Um, and not, I don't say this in, in support of Hillary Clinton, but there's really, we have learned nothing. We have learned nothing that we didn't already know or sort of suspect about the Clinton camp, about Hillary Clinton or the Clinton campaign or the inner workings of the Democratic National Party. But what we have learned is a lot of sort of um, juicy gossip about the internal workings, right? We've learned that some people say mean things. We've learned, um, we've learned, but we haven't learned, there's, there's no smoking gun of a crime. There's no indication of any sort of conspiracy. There's no indication of any sort of malfeasance other than the kinds of malfeasance that we already know what happens with a sort of oligarchical system of government, the government that, we, that we have and that I think that Clinton sort of represents. But there's really nothing, un, there's really nothing illegal um, or even I would, I mean, there's nothing illegal in this, in this stuff, in this stolen content. But what's going to happen, and this is what I fear, I mean, and I, and I heard um, Scott Simon inter- interview Zainab Tefeski yesterday on NPR, and he said, you know, I, I was told to never put anything in email that you didn't want published on the front page of the New York Times. And she responded, that's ridiculous. You have the right to privacy. You have the right to say anything in private personal communications. The, the New York Times does not have the right to print just because someone is sort of making it out to be this um, super sneaky subterfuge. The New York Times doesn't have the right to print your information. Not if there's not a clear case of public interest. And there's not a clear case of public interest in any of this. But again, this is, a, I mean, somewhat like 
This is somewhat like the denial service attacks on people who are speaking out. This is also an attack, I think, on free speech. And this is certainly an attack on dissent. And it is going to be very, very hard to use the new technologies that activists really rely on for organization, right, with the knowledge hanging over your head that if you piss off Julian Assange, right, if you end up on the wrong side of Julian Assange's political beliefs, that all of your personal data is fair game. And that is frightening, especially because, I mean, especially because, you know, he's an accused rapist, he's an anti-Semite. Uh, there's many, many reasons. Um, it, like, seems to be really palling around with Putin. But, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we don't, we, we have a right to privacy. Well, and what, what I think, for me, really moves us to frightening levels is that these these insights are these reality TV show, surveillance culture reality TV show insights that don't rise up to you know the the hype that they're being put out there on, is in a U.S. national uh, election debate for for the presidency on major networks. It's one side of the argument. It's like when. When when one of the presidential candidates is 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 trying to backpedal away from stupid shit he said and stupid shit that he supports and has done in the past, he's citing information that are this gossip from the gossip rags, this kind of reality TV show, as part of the argument. And 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 the other candidate has to actually defend against this. The NPR talk show hosts have to actually cover this the next day. And and when if I've learned anything from watching the cybersecurity kind of slash API spaces, nothing you see out there is is what it is and the the opportunity for injecting in misinformation misconcepts and 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 just general misinformation that are going to um you know confuse and send people in the wrong direction is super super scary when it's on the national stage at that level yeah so um speaking of the future being destroyed by social media um, a couple of updates. We talked a little bit about this last week with um, Peter Thiel's um, support of Donald Trump and his continued um, position on the Facebook Board of Directors. Of course, Facebook uh, Zuckerberg um, defended Peter Thiel this week and said that they're keeping him on the board for the sake of diversity. Um, I should note that every member of the Facebook Board of Directors is white, but somehow Peter Thiel counts as a diversity seat, I digress. But let's. But both. But Twitter is purportedly looking for a buyer. Yeah. Um, and it's struggling to find one, which I find incredibly satisfying. Well, there was a story that came out about um, about Disney and Salesforce stepping away from their consideration because um, it's a honeypot for trolls. It's a honeypot for terrorists. It's a command and control structure for some some pretty awful behavior. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Disney was concerned that uh, that buying Twitter would damage its brand because, you know, I think that Twitter, particularly after this election in which Donald Trump has so effectively sort of utilized the Twitter hate machine to his benefit, um, you know, Twitter is so clearly uh, a 
place, a, a haven really, for white supremacy and anti-Semitism. And so Disney was like, yeah, no, thank you. How, like, how on earth could Disney, how on earth could Disney, right, whose brand is all about happiness and, and joy and magic, um, associate itself with a brand that is really all about hate? Well, I, think, I, I mean, I think Twitter's position is just a symptom of the overall illness that's gonna that's doing away with the you know the the grand vision that was the web. It's like when you don't tend to uh, the trolls, when you don't tend to the bots, when you don't tend to um, the the financial focus, um, the monetization, the revenue focus. Um, when you take on investment from um, very powerful people, Russian, Saudi Arabia, different groups. Um, you know, shit's not going to be nice. We can't have anything nice because it's really going to incentivize the, uh, uh, you know, obviously the the worst among us in in the world. Well, the incentives are completely completely misaligned. I think with um, many of these sites. To I think the things that many of us had sort of thought that we were getting from networked communication um, like the internet. There was a really great story in BuzzFeed this week about in which they looked at stories um, being shared on Facebook, really traffic being to these sites being almost entirely based on Facebook shares and likes um, that were these sort of hyper-partisan, hyper-partisan um, websites that really are in the basis of clickbait and then advertising, but that are incredibly, like, are full of just incredible misinformation. I mean, I think that's the undercurrent, the undertone of this, this new cyber warfare, cybersecurity front that, that seems to have become the web, you know, the, the internet being born out of its military roots, it seems to have come full circle. And, and with the the advertising click eyeball driven investment focus of of all these platforms and and these all these communities willingness to kind of gamify this whole uh, bipartisanship and kind of getting people to to hate each other and click and fight back and forth um so that they can make money it just all seems so so uh beautiful yeah, I mean, and I think that many of us probably see, know the people who um, are friends with the people on Facebook. Hopefully we don't actually share this stuff ourselves. And, we, and my God, don't. Like, you're just contributing to sort of like this sort of misinformation and conspiracy the theory world. And as you said, the sort of overabundance of information in which actually the misinformation seems to be the dominant the dominant form of information. But I found this BuzzFeed article really interesting because, you know, and again, like part of the argument that you're hearing and part of the argument that's been made was that is that the internet is going to, quote, disrupt mainstream media organizations, right? And instead we're going to disintermediate that and we're going to be able to go directly to better sources. Um, you're not going to have to rely on NBC or the BBC or the New York Times. And increasingly, particularly here on the right, that these are all highly partisan, um, that they're all full of media bias. But this BuzzFeed article said that, you know, they looked at the, um, they were comparing mainstream media versus hyper-partisan media that was left and media on the right, and then sort of like these hyper-partisan um, pages as well. And not a single article 
from the mainstream media was mostly false. Not 0%, but 4.7% of the left articles that they characterized as the left were mostly false, and 12.9% of the articles that they characterized as on the right were mostly false, right? Mostly true of those right-wing um, publications, less than half of their content was mostly true. Less than half was mostly true. And folks are sort of seeing this on their online and sort of sharing this stuff, and it is really feeding these very dangerous cycles. But it's not even, it's actually not even that, that the people behind these sites are necessarily part political partisans. They're just taking advantage of the advertising revenue that Twitter is, Twitter is, or excuse me, that Facebook is, is giving them. It's sort of, wep I, I overuse the, the adjective weaponized, but it is like this weaponized misinformation that Facebook is absolutely fueling. And the fact, again, that Peter Thiel sits on the board of directors and that Facebook is quite willing to become the main propagator of this very, very dangerous worldview. And I don't mean a dangerous worldview of Peter Thiel, you know, not believing in women's rights, for example. I mean a dangerous worldview in which fact is not fact. Well, and it's just, it doesn't exist within this this world that is under constant of, uh, assault, a denial of service, a distributed denial of a service attack, both both literally and kind of, I think, ideologically um but that's that layer that layer that you touched on in the middle there that the 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 opportunist that just wants to get rich and really doesn't give a fuck about right or left right or wrong um and there was a interesting story on krebs on security where he zoomed in on more of the opportunist layer that's behind these these botnets and it's really people just selling hey you know there's all these devices out there that have a default password oh here's a list of them if you want to buy it oh hey you need a, a, a network to operate your botnet uh, attack on here we go you need some compute here you go and it's that opportun opportunistic entrepreneurial spirit that really worries the fuck out of me yeah Let's end global capitalism and then this podcast episode. <laughs>